This week, we got another change it up a little bit for you. Um, Brandon Tyra, who is one of our board members, um, he's been on our preaching kind of team for, gosh, six, seven years now, probably, since the beginning. Him and his wife, Lindsay, go here, and their daughter, Ray Lynn, and son, Jake. Um, he's going to be team teaching today with his dad, Gary Tyra. I don't know if you've heard Gary Tyra, before, Gary Tyra before. Gary is a professor at Vanguard University. I actually took him when I was at school. Um, actually, I wanted to tell you, I refer regularly to the, uh, the capstone class that I took with you. Um, so that, that class has shaped what we do here. So thank you. Thank you for what we do. Um, I'm excited. We've been praying, and, ex- and, and I'm just prayerful about what God wants to speak to. I actually asked Brandon, hey, you want to speak? And he's like, yeah, I'd love to. And then he called me back like a week later. He's like, hey, can I bring my dad too? I'm like, yeah, sure. That'd be awesome. So they're going to be team teaching this morning. So I'd love, if you can, to give a warm welcome to the Tyrus. Yeah, Josh, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for being willing to share the pulpit with us. Uh, we're definitely very excited, um, happy to be here. Um, we talk, uh, the leaders at City Reach talk a lot about having spiritual mentors. You know, I know Josh has a mentor uh, in Bill Doctrum, and Nathan had a mentor, and I'm privileged to be able to have brought my mentor um, and dad, this is my Yoda, basically, um, with me. Um, though I do think, as I was growing up, a little bit of the mentoring was to get me to do uh, yard work. So, because he had me uh, pull weeds out of the hill, but always had a very good spiritual symbolic message about how the weeds are like sin, and we have to pull it out from the root or else it'll choke the flowers. It was, it was great, and I'm, I'm not... It sounds a little manipulative. <laughs> it does, but I'm not mocking because I still remember it, and actually, like, I want to teach that to my son, so I'm driving around Glendale looking for hills with weeds that he can pull. But we, we have an apartment, though, and so it's different, so I might have to modify it a little bit. Just like, bring him to my house. That's yeah, cool. Perfect. <laughs> So, um, thanks, so thanks for being with us here. Um, it's my pleasure. I yeah. really consider it an honor for you to want to do this with me. So thank you. My oh, son. absolutely. I appreciate you. Because I mean, well, what happens usually when I get asked to preach anyway is after I throw up and calm down, then I just call you anyway. And as you know, I, we've grown up. I've always regularly just called my dad, and we'd you know sit over a cup of coffee and we'd have a conversation about uh, spiritual matters or movies we've seen or you know, stuff, stuff I'm struggling with. And I've always found that after every one of these conversations, I've always left with just some really good encouragement or some really good insights or sometimes my perspective on a whole topic or something is completely changed. So every conversation has always yielded some sort of uh, fruit um, in a way. And so my thought was just today, we could just have one of those kind of conversations and sort of allow you guys to uh, be in on it, um, kind of eavesdrop. And my hope is that you'll walk away today with the same, taking away some bit of encouragement or some inspiration or, or insight. Um, so I chose a topic. Um, if we, our main text for today is uh, Mark 6:30 to 32. Um, if you want to open your Bible, I think we have it on the screen, or if you have a smartphone, or as my son says, a tablet. If you got an Amazon tablet, which Aunt Meg was kind enough to get him one and I, it turned him Italian, apparently, a tablet. So, but let's just, uh, let's read uh, the verse today. Um, it says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Will you bow your heads with me? Let's, 
Let's pray. And Dear God, we just come to you today, Lord, just as open people. Lord, open to uh, whatever it is that you want to speak to us this morning, God. Lord, our, our hearts are open, and we just ask that your spirit would flow today. And uh, just uh, fill us with a sense of your peace, Lord God, and just a sense of your wisdom. In your name, amen. So when I was thinking about what we should talk about, um, there's a book that you recommended that I read, and I read it a few years ago. Um, it's called The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. And in it, there is a chapter that just really resonated with me, and I, re I just remembered it. It affected me pretty heavily, and I know you preach sermons on it, and you teach it as part of your uh, courses at Vanguard. Um, and let me just read a quick excerpt from the chapter. I think it'll set up what we're going to talk about. So John Ortberg writes, not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the pace at which things tend to move in my current setting. I told him about our rhythms of family life and about the present condition of my heart, as best as I could discern it. What did I need to do? I asked him to be spiritually healthy. Long pause. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he said at last. Another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down, I told him, a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now, what else is there? I had many things to do, and this was a long-distance conversation, so I was anxious to cram as many units of spiritual wisdom into the least amount of time possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. He's the wisest spiritual mentor I have known, and while he doesn't know every detail about every grain of sin in my life, he knows quite a bit. And from an immense quiver of spiritual sagacity, he drew only one arrow. There is nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, I think it's pretty cool, but you actually knew the mentor that he was talking about, right? Yeah, uh, back in 2002, one of my doctoral uh, seminars for my doctor ministry degree was with Dallas Willard. And he's a famous USC philosopher and writer on Christian spirituality. He passed away a few years ago, sadly, but um, sort of like the next C.S. Lewis. Someday we'll be reading his stuff and talking and thinking about him the way we do C.S. Lewis now. He's hugely influential amongst numbers of Christians. And um, in this seminar called Spirituality and Ministry, we gathered at a Catholic retreat center up above Sierra Madre in the foothills there. We're going to spend two weeks together, living together, praying together, um, eating together, studying together. Um, and it was an intense time, those two weeks were awesome. But he begins this whole time, and there's maybe about as many people as in this room right now, and he, he stands up on the very first meeting and he says, uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the, to the spiritual, spirituality ministry seminar. It's my fervent hope and expectation that when you leave here in two weeks, you'll go and never be in a hurry again. And I, I kind of looked up to look into the eyes. We were sitting in a big rectangular shape, you know, and so I thought, is anybody else thinking that's as crazy as I think it is? Because that just sounded ridiculous to me. And this is the very first thing out of Dr. Willard's mouth, is this idea that we're going to go and never be in a hurry again. Now, I would later on learn that he'd make a distinction between being busy and being in a hurry. And that's very, very important. But he was dead serious about this business. So yeah, I knew right away, because Ortberg took the same seminar a different year. And so I knew right away when I first read this chapter who he was talking about. He teaches slowly as he speaks to Ortberg. He like, it must have been a long seminar, he, he, huh? He, he is very, was very deliberate in the way he, he communicated. He really was, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I mean, just looking at the language, the ruthlessly and eliminate, I mean, it, it's really powerful. So, I mean, can you unpack just a little bit about why he thought it was so important to eliminate her? Well, I'm going to let Ortberg help us here, right, and the chapter help us. And essentially what Ortberg does in the chapter is give us two big reasons why he began to take seriously this counsel that, John, you got to eliminate hurry from your life if you want your spirituality to be what it needs to be for you to survive, much less thrive in this ministry environment. And then a couple of resources that Willard talked about as well. Now, one of the first reasons is this. Ortberg in this chapter talks about the possibility of Christians like you and me and you skimming our lives instead of fully living them. If you're not careful, uh, Ortberg says you'll end up not just, the, the bigger issue is not that you're going to renounce your faith, but that you'll skim your life, always getting ready to be a man or a woman of God, always getting ready to be a person of prayer, always getting ready to be a loving, gracious, patient, merciful person, but never quite getting there because your sense of hurry is causing you to never actually do what needs to be done for that to happen. And so that was a big concern of Ortberg, and one of the reasons why he says this is so very important for us to, to take Willard seriously and ruthlessly to make this a high priority to eliminate hurry from our lives. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that hurry is a th I mean, I feel like we are in L.A. live in this culture of hurry. I mean, even if you look at the inventions and technology and products, that all promise to help us save time. You know, it's, it feels like more than not though, we feel like there's not enough hours in the day and all this stuff that promises to hurry, to, promises to give us that uh, timefulness that, that we want where we are gonna spend all this extra time ends up kind of failing us in the end. But I mean, you look at all the products, like the number one selling shampoo is one that combines shampoo and conditioner into one bottle to eliminate all the time it takes to rinse out your hair and do it again. Yeah. I think some even have body wash now thrown in and you can do it all, you just, you wow. know, and you're done. It's wow. like that. Even this Apple Watch, which was a fantastic gift from my family, it's, I think it's designed so you don't have to pull your phone out of your pocket to look at something, right. which depending on how tight your pants are, it could take half an hour, so maybe that's a good one. Yeah. But even, you know, so I walk Jake to school every morning, and uh, on the way, we tend to run into this uh, lady who only speaks Russian, and it took a few encounters for us to figure that out, but she's always really taken with Ray. She thinks she's so cute, and, you know, but she's super nice. She is cute. Ray is cute. This, yeah. this lady is really nice, but... Not so cute? She's, I don't But she's know. a heck of a good cook. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Never mind. That's a movie <laughs> reference. We do that. So. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so... I wanted to just Google, you know, a, a few phrases of Russian just so I could communicate with her, a good morning or how's the weather kind of a thing. And when I looked up the sites, the first ones that come up aren't kind of what you would think, like take this course and learn Russian in three to four years, because it's a pretty complex language. The first ones that come up are learn Russian in 30 days. I even found one that said learn Russian in 10 minutes, hmm. and it said it was scientifically proven. Wow. I almost clicked on it, but I get a little anxious about clicking on Russian websites. Yeah, 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 I, I just yeah. don't want to get hacked. But That's smart. That's smart. There must have been, you know, so there, there's all of these, you know, products that are promising to uh, help us save time. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's a bit of a problem. But as you were kind of saying, though, 
I'm, I mean, I'm a pretty busy person. I think we're all really busy people. I mean, my job is super busy and very demanding. And, you know, even home, I have two young kids. So I'm always, always busy. So is there kind of a distinction, though, between being busy and being in a hurry? Because it doesn't seem like, I don't know, is it, is it possible to be as busy as we are and not hurry? Well, again, you know, Ortberg is wanting to share with us two reasons for doing, taking Wellard seriously and two resources. So we talked about the first reason. Let's talk about the first resource. And basically what Ortberg tells us is Jesus' example as someone who didn't allow hurry to get in the way of his relationship with God has to be a potent resource for us. We can be inspired by that. So you read the text from Mark 6 that says, okay, here's what the backstory is, is that Jesus has sent his disciples out on a mission, right? And they've come back, and they are excited. Demons have responded to them. Illnesses have responded to them. They are amazed and excited about how the Holy Spirit has worked through them. And as they're sharing this, the ministry needs are stacking up. But instead of shutting down the time with his disciples, he takes them on a retreat. Even though business is about meeting needs uh, and business is good, he says we need to get away and, and connect with each other and connect with the Father. So it's an amazing passage in that respect. But what we learn from Luke's gospel, that's from Mark, in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, says that Jesus himself individually would do this. He'd be very involved in ministering to people. And then it says, but he would often withdraw to lonely places to pray. So what the Gospels tell us is that Jesus' own spirituality, because he had one. Jesus was a spiritual person. It was intentional about cultivating this intimate, interactive relationship with God as his Abba, his Father. And that plays a role then in how Jesus ministers. So in the Gospel of John, we find these verses scattered throughout the Gospel of John where Jesus says to his ministry antagonists, I know you guys are frustrated with what I'm saying and what I'm doing, frustrated enough to want to kill me, and that's one of John's points is that here's how it is that Jesus ended up on a cross. He, he crossed swords with some powerful people in, in Israel, religious leaders, because they didn't like what he was saying and doing. They thought it was blasphemy. But here's what he says to them over and again. I'm only saying what I hear my father saying. I'm only doing what I see my Father doing. Jesus' spirituality, this intimate interaction with the Father, directly resulted in what he said and how he said it, how he acted into people's life. So it was crucial to his ministry. Well, if we're going to be Christ's followers, we need to be doing what Christ himself did. So Ortberg makes these observations in this discussion. He says, first of all, following Jesus can't be done at a sprint. You just simply can't be sprinting and also be following because by definition you can't run faster than the one you're saying you're following. So our pace in life has to take its cue from the pace of Jesus rather than us just speaking and acting and hoping God blesses it. We need to, like Jesus, be listening and, and, and interacting with him in such a way that he can show us what he's up to in the world so we can cooperate with it. Jesus had a spirituality that allowed him to be busy, because he was super busy, but he was never in a hurry. He never allowed a sense of hurry to separate him from the heart of the Father. He, he lived in the love of God. He lived in the grace of God. So therefore, he could extend grace and mercy and love to everybody that he touched. 
And that's what you and I are supposed to do as his followers, right? Love on people. Be merciful to people instead of the opposite. But if we're not living in that ourselves, we can't give that out because you can't give out what you don't have. And then Ortberg makes this observation. He says, um, the problem is this, that hurry isn't just an indication that we're poor at time management. It's an indication that our priorities are out of whack, that we're really not tracking with what real discipleship looks like or what it requires. And we, we need to come correct there. And so that's a, a resource we have is Jesus' example and what it says to us about the importance of imitating him. Yeah, and I think it's interesting in the text, too, when it talks about how they didn't even have to have a chance to eat. And it's, it's not really a commendation of, like, good job on you. you you're doing so much ministry that you, you're not even eating. It, it sounds kind of like a selfless thing. And it's, in our culture, we'd probably take that as a, as a point of pride. Like, you know, you're working so hard, you didn't even eat. Good, good for you. Yeah. But, but it's really kind of highlighting the importance of, like, no, you got to... Yeah, the text is really emphasizing just how important it was to Jesus to have these quiet times with God and how he made sure his guys did as well. Yeah, and especially for ministry, too, you know, because it's not, you know, entertainment industry stuff. It's, it's ministry. That's as important as it, as it gets. So even to take time out during ministry is important to remember. Um, here's a good time to, can we engage in just a little diagnostic exercise. Let's see if, uh, how do we know that we're suffering from hurry sickness? So ask yourself these questions and um, just be honest with yourself. You know, do you ever complain that there just aren't enough hours in the day to do what needs to be done? When listening to others, do you sometimes nod faster to encourage the speaker to accelerate? <laughs> or if you're like my wife and I actually finish each other's sentences for each other? <laughs> yeah. um, do you find yourself ever chafing? You got that from your mom. I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's usually never anything that I was really going. It's always like, yeah, okay, okay you're going to scratch my back? You know, it's, it's never that. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself chafing when you have to wait? At a stoplight, if there's two lanes and there's a car in each lane, do you find yourself guessing based on the year-making model of each car which one's going to pull away faster? It's not the Prius, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Offense intended if you drive a Prius. Just kidding. At a grocery store, if you have a choice between two checkout lines, do you find yourself counting how many people are in each line and then multiplying that number by the items per cart? Then after you've made your choice for which line you're going to be in, do you find yourself keeping track of the progress of the person that would have been you in the other line? And if you get through and that other you is still there, you're excited. But if you're still there and the alter you is walking out of the store, you feel depressed. I made a horrible choice. Um, do you try to do too many things while driving? Are you ever tempted to be angry with people who have accidents on the freeway rather than praying for them? That's, I'm, I'm definitely a guilty one of that mm. one. Um, are you beginning to notice how very irritated you can become when your work is interrupted, even when it's friends or family members asking for some attention? Hmm. And that last one, you know, reading through this, that's what hits me the strongest because I definitely have had, you know, moments where I come home from work, and I basically deal with big children at work all day anyway, <laughs> and so I, I come home, and, you know, if you remember Seinfeld, uh, George Costanza's dad, Frank Costanza, used to get really irritated, and he would always shout, serenity now! <laughs> you remember that? I found, I've definitely had some serenity now <laughs> moments when I get home, and that's just, that hits me, because that's, 
I feel like I've, I've missed quality, I'm missing quality family moments. I feel like that's, you know, what life is. It's, it's the tough times, and so being hurried and impatient and skipping over that stuff, I feel like I'm throwing away, you know, good moments. And, you know, I, I know Ortberg talks about in the book um, this idea of sunset fatigue. Mm -hmm. um, can you give us a little bit sure. more about sunset fatigue? So it's ironic, isn't it, that we're, we say we're working hard for our families, but then because of how hard we're working every day, we come home and we're just worn out and we're really not as there for them as we really probably should be and they need us to be. But I think the issue, Brandon, and I think you've alluded to it a little bit, is that it's not really just sunset fatigue, it's like all day fatigue. We, we start the day that tired. Can I get an amen to that? We start the day stressed. We start the day not only hurried but harried as a result of that and kind of anxious. And so we're easily prone to be frustrated when people drop in or stand in our, our office doors and want to chit chat when we've got something we've got to do or when somebody sends us an email to gives us something more to do than what we thought we were going to have to do that day. And we can just become so angry and frustrated. It's what road rage is, uh, is largely about. Sense of being disrespected can occur, but it's also about I'm in a hurry and you are cutting me off or in my way or, or not going when you should be going or whatever. And so uh, Ortberg and Willard are making the point that hurry sickness is behind a whole lot of anger and rage and frustration in our world right now. But here's the good news. Both Ortberg and Willard are convinced that we can do this. We can with the help of Christ's spirit. We got his example. We've talked about that resource. But the other resource is Christ's spirit can get inside of us, and as we engage in certain disciplines that we'll chat about here, the Spirit of Jesus can form Christ in us so that like Jesus, we can live in grace and extend it to others. How awesome would that be to actually be able to, to be Christ-like and not just talk about being Christ-like? Yeah, um, and now is a, a good time I think to talk about let's talk about the cures how do okay. we how do we start to overcome the hurry sickness and something that I remember from your sermons that I think is good to start with um, as an important sort of caveat is we need to understand that it's not simply about trying harder just simply trying harder won't overcome uh, a spiritual illness uh, such as hurry sickness we need as you've always said is to enter into a life of training and the verse that I always remember is 1 Timothy 4, 7, where Paul encourages uh, Timothy to train himself to be godly. He hmm. says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So according to Paul, there is a way that we can sort of cultivate the sense of godliness um, in yeah, our lives. Yeah, it's not something we do to ourselves. It's, right. it's our way of cooperating with the Holy Spirit yeah. that results in godliness. Yeah, yeah, and I always like just that idea of of getting into training, but it's, you know, you got to take that first, that first step. We do have to be involved. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Ortberg kind of lays out, so, you know, these are what we traditionally refer to as spiritual disciplines. I know we've talked about him a lot here, and Ortberg, out of all the spiritual disciplines, kind of highlights two specifically that really deal with the hurry sickness, and the first is the uh, practice of slowing. So this discipline is about um, cultivating patience by deliberately putting yourself in a position to where you have to wait. Hmm. So he does uh, give some... Crickets. Did you notice yeah, that? No, Crickets I know. out there. Yeah, but for dramatic pause, though, yeah. so I thought, yeah. But he gives some examples of this, like you can deliberately drive in the slow lane for a while on the freeway. Go every on the very every right. once in a while, not every day, but every right. once in a while, you just deliberately get over there, yeah. Yeah. 
Or um, you declare a fast from honking. Especially if there's somebody in that left turn lane and it's green and they're just not going, just resist. Just declare a fast from honking. Resolve to eat your food slowly, excruciatingly slow. Take 15 bites, I think is what his recommendation was. Um, look carefully to see which checkout line at the grocery store is the longest one and get in that one. And then let somebody go ahead of you. Um, and I recommend, just from personal experience, tell your wife that you're doing this because I did this and I didn't tell her and we were at an amusement park. Oh no. It did not end well for me. Yeah. I practiced solitude very quickly after that one. <laughs> I was going so slow, it, it drove her nuts. So just, you know, let your, let your wife in on it. Um, but are, are there any other particular things that we need to be careful to do while yeah, we're doing well, this? Well, you know, these are all uh, either asinine or really remarkable uh, observations and suggestions. Um, I want to go on to just say that like any spiritual discipline, the discipline itself, the act itself, isn't what by itself has the effect. It's because it contributes to our prayerful interaction with God. So for example, when you fast, it's not the fact that you didn't eat that results in spiritual power. It's that because you weren't eating, you were praying with intensity. Your hunger was driving you to, the, to God in prayer. And you were praying in a manner that was even more intense. Really, all the disciplines are like that. So if we're going to drive in the slow lane, don't get over there and then white-knuckle it and be mad, right? That doesn't do any good. If you're going to drive in the slow lane, get over there and then start praying. Reckon with the presence of Christ with you in the car. Interact with the risen Christ. Let him love on you. Let him encourage you. Let him speak to you and surrender to him what's going on in your life. Same thing with, with if you're not honking, you know. Let it be because you're also talking to Jesus and trusting. If we have to stick through another light cycle, it's okay. There's a reason for that, and it's all good. If you uh, get in the slow line, prayerfully do it. And then I want to go on to say, as I've already suggested, practice what I call the pursuit of Christ's empowering presence. Let Jesus be in the line with you. Let Jesus be in the car with you and really interact with him in a real way. Don't talk to the idea of him. Talk to Jesus. You know, how many know, the, according to the scriptures, he's here with us right now. He's here with us right now. But we don't often reckon with the real presence of Christ. And as a result, we are not experiencing his power and his guidance in our life the way we can if we'll begin to cultivate this discipline. Yeah, and along with slowing, the, the other one uh, he mentioned is solitude. And, and maybe that's the more traditional, um, classical one to really deal with with hurry sickness, and it, we obviously see in the scriptures Jesus practiced this all the time. He would often withdraw, withdrew to uh, lonely places to pray and reconnect with the Father, and, and that's the one that Dallas Willard was pretty big on, right? Man, it was huge. Now, by the way, everybody, if you want a book to start with, if you want to explore Dallas Willard, he wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, and Richard Foster is sort of famous for the disciplines, but Richard Foster got his stuff from Dallas Willard. That's how influential Dallas Willard is. So this book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, and he talks about the various disciplines. And so he considered all of them important, but it was remarkable. He said of all of them, if I had to say which one is the most important, he said it's solitude. Because he was aware of how impacted we are by our culture, the world around us. And he was so convinced that we have to periodically 
unplug and disconnect from the world around us and the people around us so that we just get into God's presence and experience his, his presence in a phenomenal, real way and also learn in the process how to really hear his voice, how to genuinely learn to become sensitive to divine breathings so that the Spirit of God can speak to us and guide us the way he did Jesus. It was remarkable. And he, he shared a couple of illustrations. One was that whole frog in the kettle story. Have you ever heard of that? Where supposedly some researcher discovered that if you put a, a, a frog in a pot of boiling water, it jumps out right away. But if you put a frog in a, a pot of tepid water and heat it gradually, it'll allow itself to be boiled to death because the changes in its environment are so incremental, it's desensitized to it. And Ortberg cites that story and says, well, we live in an environment that's just as lethal and hostile to our Christianity. If you never unplug, you'll become desensitized by your environment, and you'll end up eating your lunch. And we just can't allow that to happen. So uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, yeah and, and just so, to tag on, so Ortberg does recommend when practicing solitude, there's, there's kind of two things. You know, you need a, a daily routine uh, experience of solitude, like a quiet time and then some breaks throughout the day, but also some extended solitude. Um, you know, every once in a while, make it be a full day or, or a few days if you can manage that. You know, every once in a while, you know, a half a day where you go and just get alone in nature. And Willard would say, after the jittering stops, you'll begin to hear the voice of God. But at first, it's, it's unnerving to just be alone with God. And he said, don't even take your Bible. And I pushed back in that seminar. And I gave him this sort of lengthy response as to why I felt like I needed to take my Bible with me into the time of solitude. And he listened very patiently. And then he shakes his head and he says, Gary, I'm just afraid you're going to turn it into a work. But I don't think he knew me well enough to know unless God's spirit was speaking to him. But he was absolutely right. I would turn that into a, a sermon building exercise or uh, framing a, a new book that I want to write or something like that. So it's just you and God and maybe nature because we can sense God in nature, right? And it's unnerving to not have something to do or something to read or something to listen to. And so Willard would say, after the jittering stops, stops. That's when you start to hear the voice of God. I don't know if I ever fully told you the story, but you know, you know, I, I ran the Long Beach Marathon for the first time. So a few years ago, um, I was actually training with somebody from City Reach uh, to run a half marathon um, at Long Beach. And, you know, so we we're doing these weekly runs and I was sending her my times via a RunKeeper app. And she was really uh, positive and encouraging, like, man, your times are really fast. And so Part of me started to, I like that. I like the idea. Yeah. I've always thought of myself as an athlete, and I thought, maybe I've got a gift. Maybe I'm like, <laughs> maybe I'm Prefontaine, and yeah, I'm just discovering this natural ability. And so I you know, got into my head, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm pretty good at running. So Long Beach Marathon comes, and I get it into my head, I'm going to try to run this the fastest thing. I want this amazing time. I want to be able to say, look at this novice runner, look what I did. So the gun goes off, there's a ton of people, and my, I start off with a really fast pace, and I'm passing everybody that I should be passing, the 85-year-old guy who's, you know, <laughs> struggling. I'm, I'm beating him, so that's, that's good. <laughs> then, obviously, I start to tucker out and start to get tired, and I'm a little worried because I look, and I'm only a mile and a half in. And <laughs> a, half, a half marathon is 12 
point something, I, I believe, if I recall correctly. So now people are passing me that shouldn't be passing me. There is a guy who is running not the half but the full marathon barefoot, and he comes flopping past me, and I'm like, oh, no. So now i got to step it up because now my ego is starting to, you know. And it ended up being the most excruciatingly painful experience of my life. It was hot, and I, didn't, I was running at night, so I hadn't really run during the day before, so it was hot. And I hadn't, hadn't, I'd heard of the idea of chafing, runners <laughs> chafing, but I had never experienced it before. The worst thing ever. It looked like I got shot twice, perfectly parallel in, on both sides. I mean, it was, it was really bad. In the last mile, I am audibly saying loudly, Jesus, help me. Jesus, help me. And I'm sure people are running by like, whoa, okay. And I just barely finished this thing. And the first thing I thought was, man, that was a horrible idea. What a, what a terrible idea this was. And, you know, I've, I feel like the beloved movie uh, Talladega Nights, where, where Will Ferrell, you know, his whole sort of mantra is, if you're not first, you're last. You know, and then he meets up with his father years later, and he says, well, that's the silliest thing. I, I was intoxicated when I told you that. It doesn't even make sense. You could be second. You could be third. He's like, well, come on, man. I lived my entire life based on that. So just this idea, you know, if I ever had to run a half marathon or a marathon again, I absolutely would not be running it for time. I would be running it just to finish the race. Hmm. And I connect that with spiritual disciplines because... I often, I feel like, we'll try to practice spiritual disciplines trying to go for time hmm. when it should just be a lifetime of just trying to finish the race. Amen. It shouldn't be about ticking off the box. Yeah. And I've often found, honestly, if I try too hard, it turns into pride where, I, you know, I'm doing something really well and I start looking down on other people yeah. who aren't doing it well. You're a little Pharisee. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote a book about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Amazon. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, okay. Um, but Dad, I just wanted to thank you for the conversation and um, just open it up if you have any concluding remarks to sort of start wrapping things up. Well, you know, uh, a while ago you asked me for some advice about this and I, I said to you something that might have surprised you. I said, you know, I'm not going to answer that question. I'm going to encourage you to take that question to Jesus. I pastored long enough to know that my job isn't to fix everybody. It's to put people in the presence of Jesus so he can speak to them, so he can interact with them, so that you can, in all seriousness, cultivate an intimate, interactive relationship with the risen Christ so that he can teach you how to have the same kind of relationship with God as your Abba that he had. That's what discipleship's about. So I told you, you go ask Jesus, what do I need to do to, to actually pull this off? What does it mean? for me, as busy as I am with kids to do this. But I just want to say to you and to, to everyone, don't be surprised if what Jesus says to you is this. Instead of condemning you for not doing better, he may end up saying to you, okay, what can you do? Can you give me 10 minutes? Can you give me two minutes? Let's start there. Because that's a principle in Scripture. Sometimes, you know, with, when folks in the Old Testament couldn't afford what the sacrifice, the statute required, God would say, well, here's an alternative for you. It wasn't okay to ignore it, but it was okay to let God say, in your situation, let's, let's start here. 
Isn't it good that we serve a God who's sensitive to us and understands where we are and is willing to work with us as long as we're moving in the right direction? Amen? Amen. 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 So I just want to conclude with this verse. I'll just pull it up here real quickly on my phone so that I can drop my notes. Matthew 11, we read this. Jesus is speaking. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's, he's going to ask us to do some remarkable things, like learn how to love God supremely and learn how to n- love our neighbors as ourselves. But he's not going to ask you to do anything that he's not going to help you do. He's going to model it for us, and then he's going to put his spirit inside of us and, and enable us. Amen? We serve a Jesus who wants to love us and be gracious to us so that we can, in turn, love and be gracious to others. So come to him. Take your your concerns to him and let him give you the strategy. And if all you can give him is two minutes, don't despise the day of small things. Baby steps are steps as long as they're in the right direction. God God is wonderfully pleased to let you take baby steps. That's how the merciful, gracious God we serve. Amen? So I don't know if this is meaningful to anyone. Maybe it's just Brandon and, and I who are wrestling with this. But if this was meaningful to anyone here, would you stand with Brandon and me? Because I'm going to have Brandon say a prayer. And if you'd like part of this prayer, then, then stand with us. Don't feel the need to stand if it's not meaningful to you. But if you can relate it all to the hurry sickness. And, and Brandon, who I know is serious about this himself, because we've had this conversation that we had today privately. I'd like for you, Brandon, out of your sense of of sincerity and need to pray for your church family. Would you do that? Dear God, um, just thank you for uh, your wisdom, Lord, coming from your scripture, God. And um, I thank you for placing people in our lives, Lord, to to help us uh, learn and and to hear that, God. And I just thank you for the reminders of of the sermon. You know, I've, I've heard the sermon before, but man, do I need to hear more more than once to to keep coming back to this to to keep trying God and I just thank you so much for your grace Lord for mm. realizing that mm. Hallelujah we're imperfect children Lord and and we mess up sometimes Hallelujah. but the more that we can continue to fix our gaze back at you, Lord mm. God, every time we take it off and, and start focusing on something else to help us solve our problems, Lord God, Lord just to know that you're still there. Every time we turn around, we can refix our gaze upon you, Lord God, and that you're still there. You're right there. You've never left. God, that's just such an amazing thing, Lord. And I do, I just, I, I just ask for your help and for your spirit in this, Lord. And, and not just for the week after hearing this, Lord God, but that it would actually become something that is just so second nature, Lord God. Please actually transform us into patient people, Lord God, because that's what we want, Lord, and that's, I know, what my family needs. That's what our church family needs. That's what the world needs, is not people just trying to to act as patient people, but people that just mm. generally are 
patient, loving people, and that transformation only comes by by your power and your spirit. So we open ourselves up. Yes. I open myself up, Lord, yes. and I just ask that you would begin to work that into my life, Lord, and just to often remember that depth always takes time, mm. that it can't happen overnight. True growth always will take some time, Lord God, and so I just thank you for the reminder of that, and let today be the day that we begin our, our life of training, Lord, mm. if we haven't already, and if we've kind of put the training aside, Lord, let us pick it back up mm. today, Lord God, and we just thank you for, for this morning and for your continued love. In your name, amen. Amen. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Appreciate it. That was a good word. That was a really good word. Anybody receive from that today? Yeah. I think we all need to take it and just let that kind of soak down into the roots. Um, if you live in LA, you deal with hurry. It just, it just is true. Um, so thank you guys for the word. Thank you for your prep and your prayer. And I believe God wanted our, our community to hear that this morning.